Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! So, pacing on that hardwood floor, minutes felt like hours. And this small gym, now packed with hundreds of people, felt more like a Roman Colosseum than a high school gymnasium. And the music that was blasting in my headphones at the time wasn't for entertainment. It was to dictate the rhythm that my heart was beating at. On paper, my opponent was from BCC High School, but in my mind's eye, the only opponent that day was me. See, what you've got to know is there was only two options. Win and make it to the state championships for wrestling or lose and forever tell this story in search of an excuse that felt right. But one week prior, to give you some background, one week prior, I had to face this exact same opponent that I was getting ready to face that day. And I went into that match really cocky, right? Like, let me pause right there. Have you ever went into a situation overconfident to a fault, right? Like, you you knew everything was going to pan out exactly how you planned out, just for life to throw you a curveball? Well, that's what happened to me. I didn't take that match seriously. My ranking in the state was higher than this guy. Uh, I had 30 plus wins, only two losses. I was a senior, he was an underclassman. The expectation for me was that I would be at the top of the podium that weekend at the county wrestling tournament. The reality, as you might guess, I got beat. And I got beat bad. And then the next match, I was still dealing with that loss and wondering how it all happened and I got beat again. Two losses, I was bounced out of the tournament. It was an embarrassing weekend for me. The days that followed had the uh, state wrestling blog chumming about the egg that I just laid. And there's no braver people than commenters online, am I right? It's a fact, like keyboard courage, it's real, y'all. I call them uh, QWERTY gangsters, okay? You could take that home with you. Uh, That Monday, heading into practice, uh, gearing up for the regional tournament in the scene that we had set, uh, I knew that I had to have laser focus and intentionality like never before. So fast forward to that moment in the gym. I would have to face the same guy that beat me the week before. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have any doubts. The, The truth is, I looked over that bracket thinking if there was some way that I wouldn't have to face this guy again. If there was another way of my goal to a state championship, why? Because we're human and we like the path of least resistance, right? We prefer the easy way out most of the time. We don't like situations or conversations that make us uncomfortable or that feel thorny, right? Like I wanted the Silk Road. This felt like Sandpaper Alley. But I decided and I realized there's no shortcutting success. I couldn't go around, I had to go through. And so with a one-track mindset, I locked in. And I probably warmed up for two hours before this match with a really angry face on, like really pumped up. You know what I'm talking about? I visualized all the moves that I wanted to do in this match. I even stared at this guy like long enough where it was too uncomfortable for him to break the gaze. Made it super awkward, kind of like it is right now. (laughs) Right? I found out later uh, my mom... Uh, who, who's here, by the way. My mom and dad are here, by the way. My mom, uh, who was there, was actually, unbeknownst to her, sitting next to this kid's dad, and she had heard him uh, say, oh, he's got it. He beat this kid at Chiona last week. It's all good. And she remained quiet, 
for the time being. Uh, But the truth was, that day there was no uh, losing in my mind. That day, that kid was playing chicken with a Mack truck. And 10 seconds into the match, I put him on his back. I did the exact move that I wanted to uh, hit. Ended up winning that match 13 to five and made it to the state championship. And and as the the referee raised my hand in victory, uh, my Latina mom could be heard in the stands yelling loud enough for this kid's dad to hear and clapping in every single direction. (laughs) Saying, that's my son. Listen, Latinos, we're already passionate, but Latinas moms, like when they, especially when it's over their kids and their boys, they take it to a whole nother level, okay? But, but that day I learned a few truths that I've carried with ever since. I learned that life isn't the sum of the losses that you and I suffer, but how we rise following defeat. I learned that the attitude that you carry into life's most difficult circumstances and uncertainties often determine the end result. As we close out 2019, this year and this decade, and we enter 2020, one thing is true a gateway. Every one of us is either in a wrestling match or gonna enter into a wrestling match in this new year. I realize that's probably not the rah-rah message you were hoping for. But the truth is that every one of us at some point will experience hard times. Some may even feel like soul-crushing bouts in the arena of life. But what I want you to take away is this. You don't have to just go through a hard season. You can, in fact, grow through hard seasons by holding on to Jesus. See, God never robs us of a wrestling match. I know that seems maybe a little counterintuitive for some of you. Some of you may be thinking a wrestling match. Ricky, if that's what Christianity has to offer, if that's what this whole following Jesus thing is about, then you can count me out. But hear me, God never robs us of a wrestling match because he realizes what we don't, that there's beauty in the struggle. That who he's shaping you to be is so much more than just a sum of your wins and losses. Today, I wanna encourage you, stay in the ring. Stay in the ring. What if God this year doesn't just want to change your surroundings, but what if in fact he wants to change your soul? Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, Ricky, I'm, I'm good. Life is good. Family's good. Job is good. Things are good. But, but what if you didn't just have to settle for the status quo? And what happens when life stops being all good? Who do you turn to when life throws more losses at you than you can hold with two hands? I hope by the end of this, you can realize and know that when life hits, because it will hit, that there's a God that's never left you and he's never forgotten about you, that he is closer than you think. And through the wrestling, he transforms us and changes us. So you don't get your arm raised in victory without some battle scars to show for it. Every great victory comes through a great battle. And if it's true that greatness is what you and I want and desire, and if it's also true that life's blows are unavoidable, then what we need isn't just a change in our world, in our individual world, but a change, in fact, in our worldview and in our perspective. See, when we take a look at scripture, every paradigm shift in the lives of the heroes of faith comes through a proverbial wrestling match with God. Every seismic shift in growth came from a place of tension and ultimately trust. 
And the one that I want to look at this morning is a quite literal wrestling match. It's an episode in the life of this man named Jacob. It's a moment when Jacob wrestles with this man of supernatural strength that he later realizes, man, it was God himself. See, many scholars and theologians believe this is a, a pre-incarnate Jesus. And what that simply means is, is it's when God would show up in human form when the stakes were high before the birth of Christ that we celebrated last week. Jacob realizes he is wrestling with God. Maybe 2019 has felt like that for you. Let's dive in and see what we can learn through this. Genesis 32 says this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please, tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying it was because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Let me give you some context on this man named Jacob. It's in Genesis, and after the fall of Adam and Eve in God's perfect garden, humanity spirals out of control, and God sets into motion his perfect plan of redemption that he had all along to bless and reconcile humanity to himself, and he does throw, and he does this through this man named Abraham, and he says, through you I will bless the entire nation. It's why the Jewish people uh, were created, to bless all of humanity, And in fact, the savior that we celebrated just last week, Jesus would come through the lineage of this man named Abraham so that all humanity could be restored and reconciled to God. So God chooses Abraham and his family. And Abraham has his son Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And this family's kind of jacked up, kind of like your and mine family is, right? And they keep messing up, but God keeps restoring them. And he shows mercy on them because it wasn't about how great they were, but how awesome God is. And the promise that God made to Abraham was to continue through his son, Isaac. And so Isaac takes a wife, and her name is Rebecca. And they have uh, two twin boys born to them. The firstborn twin is Esau. And he's born red and hairy. In fact, his name Esau means red and hairy. And then Jacob comes out next, grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. And Jacob's name means heel grabber. So Jacob comes out grabbing Esau's heel. So they name him, wait for it, heel grabber (laughs) or Jacob. Like, can you parents, can you imagine uh, if we named our kids exactly what they looked like when they came out? I feel, I feel qualified to speak on this with three kids. Like, how many of us would be born and like our name would be ugly or cone-headed, right? Let's just be real for a second. Look, like, I got a four-month-old. I get it. Like, it's, he's fairly newborn-ish, right? 
But like, I know we say, man, like when kids are born, when babies are born, like, oh my God, he's so beautiful. She's so lovely. Like he looks just like his mom. She looks just like her dad. They're beautiful and handsome. Like, let's just be real for a minute. Time out, right? Like that baby is five minutes old and swollen. It don't look like anybody but E.T., right? <laughs> I know your baby is different. Like that was the different one. <laughs> let's be honest. But, but Jacob... His name means heel grabber. It had this connotation uh, for a deceiver. And the the boys grow up, and they grow up always at it, as a lot of boys are, always rivals. I have two older brothers, and I I get it. In fact, when we brought home our uh, third uh, baby, our second son, uh, Tiago, when we brought him home, uh, our two-year-old son, Zion, looked at this newborn baby, real territorial, and he looked at him, and he points, baby, no, no. True story. They're at it from the beginning. It's no different with these boys. Esau, he's dad's favorite. He's a skilled hunter. Jacob is his mom's favorite. He's an amazing cook. One is good with a shotgun. The other one is good with an Instapot. Some of y'all got gifted that. And one day, um, Isaac feels like he's coming to the end of his life. And he's getting ready uh, to die. In fact, we know he doesn't, he's not actually about to die. He ends up living 30 to 40 years longer. So when you feel like your back's about to give out, I'm dead, this is the big one. Like, it's, you probably got time. Anyways, he's about, he's about ready to die in his mind. And he, and he calls his sons home so that he can bless them. This may not sound like a big deal, but this was a big deal in that time and in ancient Near Eastern culture. When dad blessed you, he was not only, man, put pronouncing goodwill on your life, but it was also a blessing of inheritance. Meaning this, if you had two sons, the inheritance would be divided three ways, and the eldest son got a, a double portion, got two of the thirds. And even though they're twins, it feels a little wrong giving uh, one the lion's share of it, but he's dad's favorite. And so he's getting ready to bless his sons. He's getting ready to bestow on them the inheritance. And this had even uh, more significant pressure and implications because through that blessing would come the promise of God through Abraham, Isaac, and then the son that he would bless. The stakes were high. Esau, one day when he's hunting, he comes home famished. Obviously, he uh, didn't catch anything because he's hungry. And Isaac er, and uh, Jacob is there at home. And he says, Jacob, make, give me a bowl of your soup. Please, man, like I'm hungry, I could die. And Jacob, being that heel grabber, that deceiver, he says, okay, uh, I'll give you this bowl of soup. Sell me your birthright. Meaning, let me be the firstborn. And he says, my birthright, what, what's it good for? I'm gonna die, I'm that hungry. You can have it. And he sells him his birthright for a bowl of soup. He sells him the promise for a bowl of soup, which got me thinking how quickly we can give up what we want most for what we want now. That's a whole other message. But Jacob, as his name suggests, he deceives. He's a con man. He'll do anything to get ahead. He backstabs his own brother to get more. So Isaac, he's getting ready to bless his son. And his wife, Rebecca, hears about this. And she lets Jacob in on it. Remember, he's mom's favorite. And she says, go get two goats. I'll kill them. I'll make, I'll make food just like your brother Esau does. You go and grab his clothes, put it on you, and we'll go deceive your dad. 
And so he gets his brother Esau's clothes on him. He even puts goat's hair on his hands and on the back of his neck. Because remember, Esau's hairy, right? So to, to trick their dad, this deception was so elaborate. Look what happens in Genesis 27, verse 18. It says, he went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Mark that, underline it, don't forget it. And Jacob, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And with that, Jacob steals his brother's blessing and inheritance, proving that you can get the right things the wrong way. The end doesn't always justify the means. Jacob was busy pretending and posturing his way through life, through the world. But listen, God can't bless who we pretend to be. It's in our authenticity that he meets us. So Esau comes in later, catches wind of everything that's gone down, of what his brother has just done, and he says, I'll kill him. Rebecca takes her baby boy and says, you need to get out of here. You need to go. I, I used to feel bad for, for Jacob, like, like his mom made him do it, right? Like I used to feel bad, like maybe he's a teenager, his mom tricked him into doing this. But if you read the chapters ahead, like Jacob at this time is 76 years old. <laughs> So the time for blaming mom is long gone, right? Like you're collecting social security, homie. You should know better. Esau says, I'll kill him. So mom packs up her baby boy, sends him away uh, to her brother's uh, property, to her brother's land. His name was Laban. And this land is outside of the promised land. It's outside of Canaan where they're currently in. And I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, but go home and read it. Read Genesis 26 to 33. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible. You think your family's dysfunctional? Take a look at the first family of faith. Like, they're kind of wild. So Jacob uh, goes to his uncle Laban's house and in all of his possession, and he sees a young woman. He sees Laban's daughter, his cousin, Rachel. And he says, ooh, yes, her. And he asks for her hand in marriage. And Laban says, okay, you can marry her, but you have to work for me for seven years. Red flag already, ding, 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 right? And, and so he works seven years, and on the night that it's time to consummate the marriage, uh, it's nighttime, and, and instead of sending Rachel in, Laban, in fact, sends her older sister, Leah, in. And he ends up marrying the wrong woman. The deceiver is now deceived. And Laban says, okay, if, if you want Rachel this time for real, you're gonna have to work another seven years. He works 14 years for this woman, Rachel, like, I think it's okay to say, because it's Bible times, like, she had to have been fine, right? Like, she had to have been fine if he worked 14 years. Like, I love my wife, but 14 years? I'm just kidding, baby. You're in here. I would work 15 for you, girl. <laughs> right? 14 years. He works for her. And what happens is another six to seven year passes. So now he's married to two sisters, kind of awkward, kind of crazy, right? He has two, uh, two of these sisters and, and he has uh, babies by them and, and their maidservants, tons of babies, tons of drama. And let me pause right there. Because for those of you concerned like I was when I was reading this, of this whole weird cousin, literal sister wife thing going on, just because the Bible is silent on it, it doesn't mean that God approved, Okay. Remember, it's 4,000 years ago, different time, different culture. If you're Laban, you sell your daughters uh, into marriage, 
to cash in because they weren't allowed to work. So they didn't have the means to work. So when they became adults, you had no way of taking care of them. So you sold them while they were still of marriage material. If you are Jacob, of course you gather more wives. More wives meant more kids. There was no nest eggs, no 403Bs, no 401Ks, no Roth IRAs. There was no retirement plan. Your kids were your retirement plan in that day and age. If you're God, no, of course he doesn't approve. In fact, the scriptures in the New Testament go on to say and talk about being faithful uh, to one wife. But remember, this is hundreds of years before God would even give his people this radical uh, code of ethics called the law. So he's still being patient with what, do they, with what they can digest. He's still trying to lead this family to understand, hey, this whole world you see, yeah, I created it. I know you're worshiping a bunch of other gods, but I'm really the only God. I'm Lord of all. And just as he was with them, he is with us, patient, guiding them progressively in a way that they could understand. So let's go back to Jacob. He works another six to seven years for Laban. And God is blessing the work like crazy. Laban's family business doubles and then doubles again. It quadruples. Everything is going amazing. But at this point, it's now 21 years since Jacob has been back home. And he decides it's time to go back. He's got two wives, two of the maidservants have kids, so four baby mamas total, 11 sons, who knows how many daughters, an angry father-in-law and a family that he hasn't seen in 20 plus years, a brother who might be trying to kill him. This, real, this feels more like an episode of Maury than it does scripture. He decides it's time to go back home. And on the way back, he gets word that his brother Esau, the one that he tricked 20 years previously, is not far away. And Jacob fears for his life. And Esau, no doubt, wants revenge. And this is where we enter the scripture that we started with today. In 22, verse 22, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So you remember Esau is on the way. Jacob's thinking, he's trying to kill me. He still wants revenge. In fact, he sends him gifts and possessions and donkeys and, and, and all these things to butter his brother Esau up. He comes to a crossroads in life in the face of what could be his imminent death. And, and he sends his possessions and his family away to be alone, and, and, and he's gotta be thinking, was it all worth it? Was the lies, the deception, the conning, the climbing of the ladder, was it all worth it in the face of the end of my life? My hope for you today is that as you look at your life this past year, maybe even this past decade, that you would ask that question, that you would wrestle with the question in light of the grand scheme of things, that you would wrestle with the question of what am I doing this for? Whatever that looks like for you, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your hobbies, maybe it's your parenting, maybe it's your faith, that you would wrestle with what am I doing this for? In fact, rather, who am I doing this for? See, it's there in the crucible of his life, in Jacob's life, that God shows up again proving that even in rock bottom, God is there. Even at your and I's rock bottom, God is there. So where do you turn when the bottom falls out? In 2020, just like every other year, you're gonna have successes, and you'll also face some defeats. But I hope that you know in both, you can turn to God. The scripture says that he's an ever-present help in the time of need. 
And just like Jacob, God brings us into a wrestling match or even a wrestling season because he loves us, because there's something deeper that he wants to do inside of us, that he wants to show you and I that you don't have to just go through a hard season. You can grow through them by holding on to Jesus. You need to know that even in your struggle, God is present. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't left you. Verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, all of his life, Jacob's been grabbing onto things. And for the first time, something grabs onto him. All of his life, is, he's felt like this merry-go-round of drama. And for the first time, he realizes I can't do this anymore. Something has to change. Maybe you're here and you're just checking things out. Maybe you're actively seeking. Maybe your wrestling is found in the fact that you've been following God for a long time and it feels like he's distant because you're wrestling with all these different things in life. Could I just submit to you this morning that God isn't distant because you can only wrestle with somebody who's close. God's not afraid of your doubts or your anger or your fear. Jacob realizes something has to change. It's safe to say that you've come to the end of yourself when it's a lot harder to hold on to God when it would be easier to let go. Where in your life are you trusting God that you need to grab a hold of him? Even in the depths of despair, you can trust him. You could trust him with your family. You could trust him with your future. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your relationships. You can trust him with your sexuality. You can trust him with your very soul. You can trust him. Jacob had been holding on to deception for far too long, and he was stuck. In fact, probably worse than stuck, he was going downhill, nowhere fast. I used to look at this wrestling match back when I was a kid growing up. Like I remember going to Sunday school, like being dragged to Sunday school actually. And like the teacher would be like, kids, boys and girls, listen, listen, and have the old flannel board, right? And I used to think that like Jacob was like this strong, like jacked guy, right? Like he he probably did CrossFit. Uh, He probably ate keto and never cheated, right? (laughs) Didn't have Christmas break, right? I used to look at it because this, this figure that we know is God that he's wrestling with, it says this. It says that when, when the man saw that he could not overcome him, and, and listen, I used to think, well, why couldn't he overcome him? But it doesn't mean physically because with one touch, he takes him out. God takes him out, but it, it means spiritually because God saw, you know what? Okay, okay Jacob, <laughs> you're not going to give up. I can work with that. How old do you think Jacob is when this is playing down? I used to think it was like 25, 30, like he was young, strapping, you know, young, scrappy, hungry. Jacob is 97 in this wrestling match. 97, like no wonder he popped old boy's hip out, right? <laughs> like my dude probably had sciatica, arthritis. He's probably taking glucosamine, like all of it. And then something weird happens in verse 27. He asked Jacob his name. Verse 27 says, the man asked him, what is your name? At this point, if I'm Jacob, I'm thinking, bruh, you done popped my hip out. I've been here all night. 
I lost my Medicare card. I done missed Golden Girls, right? And now you want to know my name? Uh, But this is so important. Don't miss this. As we said before, remember years before, his father asked him the same question. He asked him, who is it? And Jacob had replied, Esau. And we already said, God can't bless who we pretend to be. He wants us to come with our brokenness, with, and not with our veneer of perfection, but with our authenticity. I can imagine Jacob just being done lying. This man asks him his name. And he says, you, you want to know who I am? I, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar, a deceiver, a con artist, a, a used people. I, I'm Jacob. And when he finally admits who he is, look at what happens in verse 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. See, once he admits his real name, God gives him a new one. He says, because you have struggled with God. See, it's not in our successes often. It's in our defeats that God meets us. Often it's in your struggle that God shows you who you really are. And aren't you glad that God gives us a new name? That he doesn't call us who he used to be. He doesn't call you for your sins, your imperfections, the things that you regret. He doesn't even call you what you believe about yourself. He doesn't call you what has been done to you. No, no, no. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He calls you beloved. He calls you forgiven. He says you're an overcomer. He says that you're set free. He says that you are his forever. And listen, today, I'm not speaking to you from some spiritual mountaintop, but from right in the trenches, from right in the ring of life. Earlier this year, I felt God calling me to start the 12 steps, and I resisted like crazy. I avoided. I'm like, God, no, you got the wrong person. He's like, no, I want you to start the 12 steps. And I resisted until I came to a point where, man, I was just done doing it my way. I was done being stuck, and I started it, and I said, okay, God, I'll do the Christian thing. I'll answer the questions. I'll do the book. I'll put my stamp on it just to say I did it. But what I did not realize was coming was this rude awakening, this shaking of who I am during the steps. And if I'm honest, some days I feel like giving up. Some days I feel like quitting and thinking, well, what's the point? Why? Because it's painful, because it's hard, it's unearthing. It shakes the foundation that I'm so comfortable standing on. But I'm realizing and I'm learning in the middle of the steps that God is good. And that I'm not what has happened to me. I am not who I used to be. In fact, there's something so much greater that God wants to do in me that I don't have to be a slave to my reactions and to the things that I've always done. And I remember that I serve a God that in Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. See, it's in this wrestling match that God, with God, that Jacob ends up working, in fact, the first three steps all in one night. Step one goes like this, if you're not familiar with it. We admitted that we were powerless over the effects of our separation from God, that our lives had become unmanageable. Jacob has all this drama, all this baggage, his brother's getting ready to kill him. He's got all this family, a deception his whole life. He's in his 90s. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Jacob enters into this wrestling match with God, understanding you're greater than I am. I I can't do this anymore. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him, Jacob holds on to God, realizing and saying, 
I won't let go until you bless me. And one night of wrestling, God brings this 97-year-old man to a place of total reliance. See, it's never too late to be who you might have been. What does it look like if you were to truly wrestle with God, if you were to allow him to take back the reins of your life? Jacob says, I won't let go until you bless me. I can't do this on my own any longer. And what happens is he gets a name change, not just a name change, but a new identity. See, before God changes what's around you, he wants to change what's inside of you. Jacob, his name meaning deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber. You know what Israel means? Triumphant with God. What's interesting is oftentimes if you read the scriptures, and I hope you take us up on that, to reading through the New Testament this new year. If you read the scriptures, it it references Jacob a lot. And sometimes it calls him Jacob, and sometimes it calls him Israel. And I was thinking as I was writing this, God, why not, if you're going to change his name, why not just call him Israel? Why not just call him the, the, the him that looks good? And I realize it's because change is complicated. Just because I have a new name doesn't mean I won't have the same struggles. But just because I know God doesn't mean I fully know myself. Just because I preach it doesn't mean that I fail to practice it from time to time. Oftentimes I joke with people sometimes and they say, you know, I don't, I don't like going to church. And maybe that's you, I don't know. Uh, I don't like going to church because it's full of hypocrites. And I'm like, we got room for one more? <laughs> But change is complicated, isn't it? What's amazing is that God isn't intimidated by our inadequacies. God is totally comfortable in the conflict. He's got peace in the wrestling match. Verse 29, Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob showing that even in the wrestling matches, your scars are proof positive that God is a healer. This figure, this, this God that, was, that we find out is wrestling with Jacob. Jacob asks him his name. And he says, why do you ask my name? And he doesn't tell him. Because God wasn't there to show Jacob who he was. God was there to show Jacob who Jacob was. See, there's some of us in here, the truth is maybe you've, you've met God, maybe you have prayed, maybe you've met and had real encounter with God, but you've never truly met yourself. You may be asking, well, what do you mean? Who are you in the silence? Who are you if the job is taken away, if the relationship ends, if the friends abandon you, if it doesn't work out the way that you planned out? Who are you really? There's something about wrestling with God that transforms the core of who you and I are and who we've been. You know what I love about wrestling is that when you lose, there's no one to blame. There's no teammates to blame. There's nobody to blame but yourself. There's this picture of me when I started wrestling. This is probably my second year of wrestling. I was about seven years old. Super cute, I know. I was fierce though. I was scrappy. But but at first, and, and this is true of wrestling and maybe other sports as well, you're gonna go through a couple of losing, season, losing seasons. And I lost a lot at first. And a lot of kids quit after they lose a lot. But little by little, I kept showing up, kept learning, kept growing. In the next picture, this was me on my way to States my senior year. 
kept growing. And you may be thinking, no, no kidding, Ricky, you kept growing. Listen, I'm starting January 1 just like you, okay? But the way that I made it to states was by not quitting. It was by growing through the losses, not just going through them. See, it's not the defeats. It's not that the defeats stop stinging. It's that they just stop identifying you when you know who you are in Christ. See, God, he's a refiner. And just as the process of bringing out gold, he goes refining us. See, if you don't know this about gold, it's through high heat and chemical processes that it goes stripping away the impurities so you get more and more perfect gold, pure gold. And God takes you and I through wrestling matches, through seasons of shaping us and forming us, of stripping us away of the things that we cling to that quickly identify us. And check this out. I don't want you to miss this. Almost done, I promise. Revelation 2.17, look at what Jesus says. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. When you and I come to the end of our lives and we are in front of God face to face, every win, every loss, every struggle, every fight, and every victory will make sense when he reveals your new name, your new identity. But while we're here, he gives us peace in the wrestling match that he's shaping us into so much more than what we could have ever imagined. Maybe you're here and you've been holding on but you feel your grip loosening because things around you haven't changed. Maybe you've been asking, God, would you just change my husband? And God is like, that's cool. Yeah, I want to start with you. God, the the numbers don't add up. The bills are piling and God is saying, hey, would you just trust me in your finances? You know, some people have a word of the year. My question is, what has been your struggle of the year? What is the one thing from this past year that you've been holding on to that God is saying, it's time to surrender? It's time to stop letting that identify you. Jacob finally surrenders. And what's amazing is in the passages that follow, God works it all out for good. And in fact, there's no revenge from Esau. There's reconciliation. What is God asking you to surrender to him before this new year, before this new decade? You can hold on to him today. He's refining you. He's shaping you. He's asking you to let go of the things that are holding you back. Would you seek him? Would you step into what he's calling you into this new year? In your wrestling match, don't give up. Don't let go of him. He's close. Can I pray with you this morning? God, we thank you that you're a refiner, that you go shaping us and forming us. Even in the most difficult and uncomfortable circumstances, you are close. You're there and you're working it out for our good. And you're changing what's inside of us. You're helping us grow through the hard seasons. God, for those who maybe just need to grab onto you for the first time, would you give them the courage to do that? For those of us who've been following you a while, we can feel like our grip is loosening. Would you grab a hold of us and remind us of who you are? That we're not our struggle. We're not our mistakes. 
we're exactly who you say we are. Give us the courage to pursue you like never before in this new year. In your name we pray, amen.